Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be gathered here in your presence. Unto you shall this gathering be, O God, as we are here, we pray that you speak to us, O God. Touch our lives, O God, with your favor, with your grace. In Jesus' mighty name, speak to our hearts, O God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right. I'm speaking of lessons from the birth of Jesus Christ, and I'm planning to teach four, um, four different series on that. So we're just going to take the story of the birth of Jesus Christ and look at the lessons that we can learn from that. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, so the Bible makes it clear that before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Bible also makes it clear that the child is of the Holy Spirit. So the child is the child of the Holy Spirit. So she was, Mary was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The Bible again emphasized that the baby in Mary's womb is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being arose from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him his wife. Again, the Bible emphasized, and did not know her until she brought forth her first son. And, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Right. Lessons from the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, before the birth of Jesus Christ, between Malachi and Matthew, usually when you turn your Bible, it's just one page. But the Bible tells us, um, Bibles, uh, when you study the Bible, the history of the Bible, we are told that between Malachi and Matthew, there was 400 years of silence. And so those 400 years of silence, there were times, these were times that there were no prophets who were speaking to the people of God. God was not doing anything new in the lives of Israel. We saw kingdoms coming up and kingdoms coming down. And in, in, in the book of Daniel, Dan, the book of Daniel talks about these years and the things that are going to happen in this year. So this 400 years of silence where we're not hearing anything from God, we do not have any new message from God. It was still a time of fulfillment of prophecy. So during this 400 years of silence, a couple of things happened that prepared the way for the birth of Jesus Christ. One of the things that happened was that the language of the whole world was Greek because Greeks at that time, Sorry, the, the, the language changed to um, Greek. The language of that um, particular area changed to Greek because Greece at that time had conquered Rome. And so it was 
and so the Bible was written in Greek because the language of that time, the kingdom at that time was the Greek Empire. Now, roads were also prepared for the preaching of the gospel. At that time, there was construction of roads. At that time also, there, um, there came up religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. They came up in the, in the nation of Israel at that time, and they were ruling the nation of Israel. And a lot of people at that time, their hearts were prepared, and they were expecting the Messiah. And so when you read the book of, um, um, the book of Luke, when Jesus interacts with people like Nathaniel, with, with people like Peter, you see that they were all in expectation of the Messiah. And so in this 400 years of silence, even though God was not speaking, even though there was no prophet who was speaking to the people and telling the people what God was doing or what God intends to do, God was not completely inactive. Even though there was silence, it was the fulfillment of prophecy. It was the time that God was using to prepare the stage for the revealing of the Messiah. What does this speak to us in our lives? There may be moments of silence that we don't hear anything from God. It feels like God is not doing anything in our lives. It feels like God is silent. Even when we pray, he does not hear. But you should know that God is never inactive in our lives. No matter where you are, or what you are thinking, or what you are going through, God is never inactive in your life. God is always working out something in your life. God has never stopped working in our lives. He never stopped working in our lives. And so in, even in moments where we feel like God is not telling us anything, like this 400 years of silence. Again, you should know that Israel were people who were always used to prophets. They always had a prophet. They always had somebody God was speaking to. And God was, if God wanted to speak to Israel, he always raised up a prophet for them. There was always somebody that was the point of call. If Israel was going to do anything, they would go to that person and ask, what is God saying at this time? But in this 400 strange years that Israel was going through, where they did not hear anything from God, they did not have any prophet who was speaking to them. It's, it, you, you, they might feel like God has has forsaken them in this moment, but God was preparing the stage for the greatest miracle. And so in your life, when you feel like God is not, God is silence and you don't see his hand working, you should always remind yourself that even in his silence, he's still working in your life. God never stops working in our life. So when, sometimes when you are going through a time of silence and you don't hear God's voice and sometimes you don't even see his hand and you, don't, you know as human beings you want to feel the presence of God that God is with us. But God, you don't limit the presence of God to just a feeling. If you limit the presence of God to just a feeling, then you might say that God is not with you. But God is with us all at all times because he has said that I will never leave or forsake you. And so don't wait for a feeling to know that he's with you. Just take him at his word, that his word is true. As he has said that I will never leave or forsake you, you should know that he is with you at all times. And so when you are going through a time of silence, it does not mean that God is angry with you. It's easy for us to blame ourselves when things don't go right or things that we are expecting, we have not received those things, then we just just to, by default, we'll just say, God is angry with me. Or maybe I have sinned, I've done, I've done something wrong, and God is not pleased with me. It's not always the case that when you don't see the hand of God, or when God is quiet, it does not always mean that you have sinned, or it does not mean that he's angry with you. God is a loving father. 
and he's given us his grace to help us. So he's not angry with you. Even in this 400 years of silence, I mean, people, Israel would have said that God is angry and has forsaken and has given up on them. But God had not given up on them. He was bringing to pass the ultimate plan that was going to settle them forever. And so when God is silent on you, when God is silent on you, he's not angry with you. It does not also mean that he doesn't care for you. When you are going through a period of silence and you don't hear God's voice and you don't see his hand, it does not mean that he doesn't care. God is a caring father. He cares for every one of us. Like I keep saying that even the hair on our head is numbered. God is so detailed concerning every one of us. God is not like a father who will forget when one of his child's or one of, I'm sorry, one of his children does not wake up. God does not forget us. He does not forget our names. He cares for each one of us. When you are going through a period of silence, don't think that it's a punishment for your sins. It is not a punishment for your sins. God is still working. God is always active in your life. God is preparing a great miracle for you when you're going through a time of silence. There is going to be the manifestation of a great miracle that when you look, when, when you get the benefit of hindsight and you look behind you and you understand, you will begin to understand why it took so long for, for you to hear his voice or why it took so long for you to see his hand. When God is silent on you, sometimes he's preparing great miracles for you. When God is silent on you, sometimes it's because the condition is not right. You see, Jesus Christ would have been born during the times where the king, there, were, um, the, there was all those, Pers um, the Persian Empire or all those empires. But the time wasn't right. God was preparing the time. There has to be the construction of the roads for the disciples to be able to travel and send the gospel far, um, for wherever God wanted them to, to take it to. All these things were not in place yet. And so the conditions were not right. Even though Israel were expecting the Messiah, when the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of that time, even though they opposed the message of Jesus Christ when he finally came, God used them to prepare the sin for Jesus Christ. God used them to turn the heart of the people, to give them an expectation. Even though at the time that Jesus Christ came, these people still opposed him, he still used them. So you see, even in adverse conditions, even in people, sometimes people that would think are opposing the gospel, God uses them or God used them to bring to pass his purpose. And so sometimes the silence of God is also demonstration of his love. As, we see, as we've seen in the, in the case of Lazarus, the Bible says when Lazarus was sick, Jesus Christ did not show up three days because he loved him. And sometimes his silence it's a demonstration of his love for us. And so when you feel like your miracle is taking too long, you don't hear his voice. Sometimes it's a demonstration of his love. Because the Bible tells us when finally Jesus Christ showed up, the miracle that Lazarus received was greater than if he had just, turned, if he had just showed up three days earlier to heal him. The silence of God does not mean he's not working. He's still working in our life. Sometimes his silence also is a demonstration of his confidence in you. Look at the story of Job. God had so much confidence in Job that the first attack, the second attack, the third one, God did not show up. God did not say anything because he had confidence in Job. And so sometimes you'll be going through a time of difficulty and you feel like, God, will you just snatch me out of this problem? Will you just take me out of this pain? 
But God has confidence in you because the Bible has said he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your strength. And every temptation that comes your way, he knows that you are able to handle it. And that's why he, he allows it to come your way. And so when you don't hear the voice of God, it might be many reasons why you're not hearing his voice. But it's never because he's forsaken you. Because God will never forsake you according to his word. You have to trust in his providence. You have to persevere. You have to press on. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, the Bible tells us that Daniel, the time that he started praying, God answered, God gave him the answer to his prayer. And so right from the first day in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of the words, because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia restored me 21 days. And behold, the, uh, behold Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone with the king of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So the Bible is telling us when Daniel started praying right from the first day between day 1 to day 21, Daniel will think that God has been silent on him. But right from day 1 God responded to Daniel's prayers. But the Bible says that the prince of Persia withstood the angel who was bringing the response to his prayers. And so Daniel persevered in prayer. Because he persevered in prayer, he was able to, to get the response or the answer to his prayers. And so in that time of silence, when you feel like God is not working or God is, you are not hearing God's voice, that is not the time for you to give up. It is a time for you to persevere. Because we know that he who has called us is faithful. God is a faithful God. And so even when he, he's silent, we can trust in his silence that is working in our favor. Because we know he's a good God. And so in his silence, we can still trust him. Now what, you ask yourself, why would God choose Mary to be the one to give birth to the Messiah? If God wanted to bring himself, God wanted to come here on earth, you would think that he would choose a very rich king and be born in a palace, and he will, be, he, he will live in, in luxury and in comfort. But he chose to be born by Mary, probably a teenager or maybe somebody in her early 20s. Inexperienced mother, has never been a mother before, doesn't know how to take care of a baby. But God chose Mary. It tells you that the vessels that God chooses, he chooses the vessels that he wants to use for his glory. You don't have to be an expert in the field that God is calling you to, to work. If God is giving you a mission, God is giving you an assignment, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be an expert in that field. You just trust in the grace of God. Mary didn't have any experience. She's never taken care of a baby. Both Mary and Joseph were inexperienced parents, but God chose them. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that you see your calling, that not many noble people are called see, Mary and Joseph were poor people. They were broke. These were young people who had just started life. The reason I know they were broke is because in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, 22 to 24, the Bible tells us, first of all, let's read from Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8. 
the Bible says that, and if that is when she had, a woman had, this is the laws um, concerning childbirth, when a woman gives birth. The Bible says, and if she is not able to bring a lamb, after the woman gives birth, she has to go to the temple for purification. That was required in the old covenant. And so the Bible says in verse 8 of Leviticus chapter 12, if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she, she may bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, one as a burnt offering, and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. And so ideally you are supposed to bring a lamb if you can afford it. But if you can't afford it, you can bring two young, you can bring two doves or two pigeons. And so let's see what Mary brought. Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2 verse 22 to 24. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses was complete, they brought him to Jerusalem. To present him to the Lord. And as, is, as, as it is written in the law, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy. That is, every male who opens the womb is set apart for God. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of two, pair of turtle doves and two pigeons. And so, these guys couldn't afford a lamb. So they were broke. But God still chose them to use them for his glory. And so sometimes you should never write off yourself that when God gives you an assignment, most of the times the assignment God gives you, you, are, you cannot do it in your own strength. That tells you this is from God. Because if you can do it with your own strength, then I can tell you, I don't have to be a prophet to tell you that it's not from God. Because the assignment God gives you, you always have to rely on him to fulfill that assignment. And so when God called Mary and said, you were a chosen vessel, that through you the Messiah was going to come. Mary was an inexperienced mother. Mary was just getting ready to get, um, to be, um, to, I mean, Mary was getting ready to marry. Joseph himself was an inexperienced father. And these young people were broke. They didn't have money, but God still chose them. And see how God provided. In the coming weeks, we'll see how God provided for them and met all their needs. So we should just trust God. When God calls us and gives us an assignment, we should just trust Him. That He's able to help us to fulfill that assignment. So don't write off yourself. When God gives you an assignment, He will empower you. He will send you helpers to be able to fulfill that assignment. So the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 26 to 29. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the, and the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh will glory in the presence of God. So he's telling the Corinthian church, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, do you see your calling? Not many people who see themselves as wise in the flesh have this calling. Because in the Corinthian church, in that culture, the, um, in this culture, there were a lot of philosophers and they, they like people who speak things of wisdom. And so they saw the cross or the preaching of the cross as foolishness. They wanted leaders who were, who were strong, leaders who would deliver their people and lead them, leaders who could fight.
That was the type of leader they wanted. And so when you tell them that Jesus Christ is our leader, and as our leader, he humbled himself, he was crucified, he died on the cross. To that person in that culture, in the Greek culture, they didn't make sense to that person. How can you say you were a leader and you did not fight back? How can you say you were a leader and you died on the cross? They could not accept a leader like that. And so the Bible says, you see your calling. Not many people who are wise, not many people who are philosophers, who speak things that make, make, uh, make sense in the eyes of men have been called. But Bible says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Preaching, the preaching of the cross to them was foolishness. But God chose the preaching of the cross to save the world. And so when God gives you an assignment and you feel like you are unworthy, you feel like you are not qualified, you feel like you cannot do it, then you are the right person for that assignment. When God called Moses, Moses said that he cannot, he, he cannot speak. He told God that he couldn't speak. Look at all the people that God called. Look at Peter. Look at all the apostles that God used them. In, a, in human terms, we would say that these people were not qualified. But God still chose them. God used them to fulfill his purpose. And so let's trust God when God calls us and gives us any assignment. When God gives you a mandate, when God has given you any work to do, you should just trust in his providence. As a church, we can just trust God. That whatever assignment, whatever thing he wants to do here in this, in this city, he can use us to do. In our own strength, we are insufficient. In our own will, we cannot do it. If we want to use our own resources, we cannot do it. But we can trust God that he's a faithful God and he's going to fulfill whatever promise he has. And so the next lesson we can learn is that God chooses a vessel and glorifies that vessel and does not depend on the strength or the resources that that vessel has. And so if you are a chosen vessel of God to do anything, God will still use you irrespective of what men think about you even respective of the resources that you think you have or you don't have, God will still use you to fulfill his purpose. Now, the first scripture that we read again tells us that because Joseph was a just man, he didn't want to make a, a public show or he didn't want to bring Mary to a public disgrace. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 23 to 24, the Bible tells us that if a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds, in the, finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. And the young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he, he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil from among you. And so at this point, when Mary was found with a child, Joseph could have chosen to make this a big issue, bring Mary before the whole city so that she would be stoned to death or so that she would be embarrassed or so that she would be cast out of the city. But the Bible tells us that Joseph, being a just man, did not want to make a public disgrace of Mary. Now, what can we learn from here? How do we handle the sins of other people? When we hear that somebody, a brother has fallen, a sister has fallen, how do we handle it? Do we go about sharing and telling other people what that brother or that sister has done? 
or do we cover the shame of that person? As beloved, as as uh, um, as as Christians, what we are supposed to do is to cover that brother's shame and not expose them to public shame. The Bible tells us how to handle the sin of other people. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. And so sometimes we crucify people. We condemn them without even hearing or giving them an opportunity to explain what was going on or what happened to them. But that is not what the Bible expects from us. The Bible says that Joseph, because he was a just man, didn't want to make a public shame. Imagine if Joseph, as soon as he noticed that Mary, because, you know, Mary had to go and spend three months with Elizabeth. And when she came back, I'm sure that was the time that Joseph noticed that Mary was pregnant. If he ran quickly to the priest and, and, and told them, that this woman that I'm planning to get married to is pregnant, even though we have not, I've not touched her, I've not had any intimacy with her, she's pregnant. And so I want to make her public shame. Let's bring her to the market square. Let's stone her. Sometimes by our words, that is how we treat other believers. And they are never able to pick up their ministry again because other Christians stoned them in the eyes of the public. Other Christians destroyed them did not give them a second chance. Sometimes we feel that God should forgive us our sins. But when it's, when it's the, another person who is close to us, we think or we feel that God is not supposed to give them. It's not supposed to forgive them. They must pay for their sins. That's how sometimes we behave. But as, as, believe, as believers, we are supposed to cover the sins of other people. We are a family. The body of Christ, we are one family. And so we are not supposed to expose them to shame, but we are supposed to restore them. It does not mean that when somebody is, um, in any, is living a sinful life, you must not tell the person. But you have to restore the person in the spirit of love. Restore the person. Your mindset should not be to embarrass or disgrace that person or bring public shame to that person. But whatever thing you do in that situation should be to restore the person. That is the most important thing, restoring the person and not punishing the person. None of us here can take that place of being people to punish other people for their sins. None of us can take that place. And so even as sometimes some churches um, give punishment to people for their sins, the purpose should be to restore. The, if, if we miss that line that everything we are doing now is to restore the people then we have missed the whole point because none of us here can execute judgment on other people at least not now until Christ comes when the Bible says we shall judge with Christ and that and, and that we are only judging with him because we are seated together with him but he's the only one who is qualified to open the scroll he's the only one who is qualified to release judgment Bible says there was nobody in, in heaven who was qualified to open the scroll. The scroll was the release of judgment on the earth. Nobody is qualified to do that. And so as believers, our assignment when we see other believers in sin is to restore such a person in the spirit of gentleness. I pray that we all have the grace, the humility, and the gentleness to restore other people when we find them in sin. Because what we are trying to do here on earth is... To help each other 
so that we can all make it to the presence of God. That is our mission. We have no, we have no cause at all to judge other people, to condemn other people. It makes no sense. As believers, we are supposed to restore people who are... You see, sometimes also, people make themselves the Holy Spirit and they want to be able to catch people in sin. They want to be able to see the sins that people are living in. They want to be able to arrest people. <laughs> Citizens arrest. <laughs> Citizens arrest, yes. <laughs> That's the right word. It's, it's very interesting. I remember like sometimes when you, uh, among the youth, um, in the youth church, uh, um, when we were quite young, you see, you want to, people want to be able to see, you know, people, there are others who are the spiritual ones. They, they are the separated ones. They are the holy ones. And so they go about trying to find out what sins other people are living in. <laughs> but that is, not, that is not your work. Your work is to restore a person who is found in sin. So, considering yourself, list. So, if whilst you are still trying to restore the person, you are warned here to consider yourself, list. You are also tempted. It says, "Bear one another's burden." The word "burden" here means a load that you are unable to carry. And so, when you see your brother in a load, sin that they are unable to carry, the Bible says you should help that person. Bible says, when you do this, you fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of Christ. And so when you are doing this, you are loving your neighbor as yourself. When you, you, you try to restore your neighbor who has fallen in sin, in the spirit of love, what you are doing is you are loving your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of Christ. You can only fulfill the law of Christ. When you love your neighbor as yourself. When you are found in sin, how do you want people to treat you? Imagine if you find a brother who is committing any sort of sin. If you were in that place, how would you want people to treat you? That is how you should treat that brother. None of us wants to be exposed to public shame or disgrace. So we should not enjoy telling people sin to other people. But we should tell those people who are involved in the sin. Restore them in the spirit of love. That when we do this, the Bible says we fulfill the law of Christ, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And so that is what Joseph did. Even though this was, I mean, for you to, to discover that a woman that you are planning to marry is pregnant, that was going to be very painful, right? It was going to be very painful because you spent time and you were preparing to get married. And all of a sudden, the woman that you were going to get married to is pregnant and you don't know anything about her pregnancy but the bible says because he was a just man he didn't want to subject mary to public shame in fact that is genuine love that truly joseph really loved mary that even though at a point he thought that okay maybe i won't get the chance to marry this woman but yet still i don't want to put her into public shame it's okay we can go our separate ways but i don't have to disgrace her and so what he was going to do was to bring two witnesses and in front of the witnesses, they were going to dissolve the, the, the union. But Bible says, whilst Joseph was still thinking about this, an angel of the Lord came and told Joseph that what Mary has conceived is of the Lord. And so he should not be afraid to take Mary to be his wife. 
When God gives you an assignment, when God gives you anything to do here on earth, He will always send people to help you. Inexperienced Mary couldn't have carried the baby all by herself. Imagine when she was going to give birth, if there was no one beside her to help and to support her. Even when she had given birth, if there was no one beside her to bring her food or to prepare the place for the baby or to help her carry the baby, she wouldn't have been able to do this. And so God had to speak to Joseph that don't put this woman away, but be with her, stay with her, because what she has is coming from the Holy Spirit. And so God sent Joseph her way to help her. And so to other people, the baby was, uh, um, Joseph was the father of the baby. It was better for them to call Joseph the father of the baby than to call Mary a harlot. God sent help to Mary. Anytime God gives you an assignment, he's going to bring people to help you. When God gave Mary the baby to carry in her womb, she, he had to bring other people. He had to bring Joseph. Mary had to go to Elizabeth at some point to be encouraged that she will be able to go through this and that God was with her. Through Elizabeth, Mary received a word of prophecy that encouraged her to go on. And so Joseph had to stay with Mary and God had to send an angel to Joseph to speak to Joseph that don't leave this woman because what she's carrying is my purpose. What she's carrying is my vision. What she's carrying is something that I have set in motion. And so you don't have to leave her. Stay with her through the, the time of her uh, pregnancy. And stay with her until she gives birth of the baby. And call this baby Jesus. Give this baby the name Jesus. And so God will always send people to help you when he gives you an assignment. When, he gives you, when God sets anything in motion in your life, he will definitely bring people who will help you. Amen. In Acts chapter 16, when God sends Paul to the city of Macedonia, verse 14, the Bible says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Tyra, who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. Look, somebody was begging Paul to come and stay with them. Not that Paul had an option. Paul did not have an option. He was new in the city. He didn't have a place to sleep. <laughs> but God just sent him into the city of Macedonia. That go into the city of Macedonia and preach the gospel. And so the first place that he came to was Philippi, which is now, uh, this is where he wrote the book of Philippians. I mean, these are the people that he wrote the book to. And the Bible says, God opened the heart of Lydia to heed to what Paul preached. God just worked in the heart of Lydia to accept Paul's ministry, to accept Paul's message. And Lydia was a seller of purple. This was a rich woman. God just brought her into Paul's ministry. And this woman offered a place for Paul to sleep, for, her, for his missions in that city. And so when God sends you to a place, God will always bring helpers. That's why we have to trust God. Sometimes when you set off and you are leaving, it's like you are doing it alone. But God is going to bring people to help you.
to fulfill that mission, to fulfill that mandate. And so one of the things we learn from the birth or from the, the, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ is when God sends you on an assignment, when you are carrying a godly vision, God will bring helpers to help you. Amen. When Paul went into the city of Macedonia, not knowing anyone, God opened the heart of this rich woman, gave Paul a place to sleep. I'm sure that if you are offering somebody a place to sleep in your house, it meant that you were also, you were also going to feed the person. And so God provided through Lydia to, to, for Paul's mission in the city of Philippians. And Paul was able to establish that church in the city of Philippians because God used people to bless Paul. Now the Bible says that you shall name the child, you shall call the child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He didn't say that he will leave his people in their sins. And again, when the Bible says his people, it doesn't just refer to Israel. Because when we read First John, the Bible, um, I'm sorry, when we read John chapter 1, the Bible says that he, verse 12, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave them power to become sons of God. And so Jesus Christ was going to deliver his people from sin. He didn't say that he was going to leave his people or he was going to provide for his people while they are still living in their sins, but they were, he was going to take them out of their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua. And so Joshua means God saves. Jesus means God saves. But at the time when Jesus was born, or Yeshua means God saves. At the time where Jesus was born, the language, the main language at that time was Greek. And so in Hebrew, it would have been Yeshua or Joshua, just like the Joshua that we know. Who were, the Joshua's that we know in the Bible were all um, types of Christ. They were all types of Christ. So Joshua was the one who carried the people to the promised land. And Jesus was the, is, is the one who was, who was going to lead us to the promised land. The Joshua, who was the high priest, was the one who, um, when Israel settled, he was the one who led them through the worship. And we see Jesus Christ playing that same role in the lives of believers. And so the name Jesus Christ is the Greek version of the name Joshua, which means the Lord saved. The purpose of Jesus Christ was to save us from sins. And so if you have become a child of God, you don't have to continue in your sins because Jesus Christ has delivered you from your sins. That was his main purpose, to come and deliver his people from their sins. Verse 22 Verse 21, the Bible says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is his assignment. He will save his people from their sins. That is what Jesus Christ came to do. And all of us who have been, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from sin. We have been delivered from the power of sin. We have been delivered from the punishment of sin. In the end, when we meet Jesus Christ, we are going to be delivered from the presence of sin. At that time, we will be incapable of thinking about sin. There will be no sin in our sight. We will not see sin. And so Jesus Christ has delivered us from the punishment of sin. 
He has delivered us from the power of sin. Anyone who comes to Jesus Christ and accepts him as the Lord, his Lord and personal Savior, sin does not have power over you anymore. You are free from the penalty of sin. In, in the future, when we meet Jesus Christ and when we encounter him, we are going to be free from the presence of sin. Because this flesh will be given up and will take on our glorious bodies and will be with Jesus Christ and will be just as he is. And so these are a few lessons. This is the first part or the part one of lessons that we can learn from the birth of Jesus Christ. Silence does not mean that God is inactive. When God is silent, he is still working in our lives. We have to persevere. We don't have to give up. Again, when we see other people in sin, we are supposed to restore them with the spirit of love. The last point is that whatever assignment God gives you, sorry, the last but one, whatever assignment God gives you, he will send people to help you. He will send people to support you in that assignment. And sometimes the assignment that God gives us feels like it's beyond us and we cannot do it with the resources that we have or in our own strength. But God is going to provide. He will send helpers your way. Again, the mission or the assignment of Jesus Christ was to deliver us from sin. And so as believers, we should understand that we should not continue to live in sin. And sin does not have power over us. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we give you glory. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the wonderful story of the birth of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' mighty name that we will walk in, in, in this revelation that we have received this morning. We pray, O oh God, that we will not be just hearers of your word, but we will be doers, O oh God, in Jesus' mighty name. Holy Spirit, we ask for grace to walk in the words that we have read this morning, to walk in obedience in the name of Jesus. Grant us love for one another in Jesus' mighty name. We pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Amen.